Lord, today we ask that your word shall come forth with authority. I pray that every heart is receptive, every mind is alert. And the will of God is established in this place today. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said. Last week, I began to look at a message that's entitled, Gifted Yet Majorly Flawed. I want to preach part number two today. And I believe I'll be able to finish this, I hope I can, with the amount of time we have today. But gifted and but majorly flawed. And I believe you need to go listen to that because I'm sure it is going to bless you. How can someone be so gifted yet with major character defect? How can someone be so gifted, especially with the things of the spirit, whether it is Interpretation of tongues or the gift of uh, healing and the gift of working of miracles. How can someone be so gifted by the Holy Spirit yet in their character they are so broken? We looked at Naaman who was a Syrian commander. The Bible says he had won so many victories for the people of, of Syria. And God had given him so much victory. He was one of the movers and the shakers of the nation of Syria. And I believe he also rubbed shoulders with the influential people in the allied nations. Such a success. Such a man of influence. When he walked into a place, everyone recognized that Naaman had walked in. So gifted. But the Bible says to us, the man had leprosy. How can you be so gifted, yet you have this major flaw in your life? I decided to study the entire book of 1 Corinthians over again. And as I did, I began to realize that the church at Corinth was so gifted, yet so majorly flawed. And there are so many churches like that today in the world. And there are so many Christians like that today in the world. So gifted, yet so majorly flawed. And that is the reason why we must never exalt gift above character. Like I said to you last week, where your gift takes you to, only character will keep you there. The higher your gift will take you, the deeper you will fall if you don't have the character to keep you there. We began to look at some of the things that I said I saw as I started the book of 1 Corinthians. We saw that the book of 1 Corinthians reveals to us this amazing gifted church. But this church that was so majorly flawed. They had division. One say I belong to Apollos. Another group say we belong to Peter. Another group say we belong to Jesus. And the third group say we belong to Paul. And Paul wrote them and began to rebuke them. Did I die for you? No I didn't. And even those who said they belonged to Jesus or they were in Jesus' group were also wrong. Because the church must never be divided. You know what you hear today in our day and time is American church and African church. And even amongst Africans you have Nigerian church. You have Congolese church and you have no Turkish church. Listen, the church of Jesus Christ is one. There is nothing like Turkish church, American church, uh, Congolese church, Nigerian church. See, revival deals with all of that. Revival is like the coat of many colors. 
in revival, we have people from all the nations of the earth come together, understanding that we have one Lord, and his name is Jesus. And we have all been accepted if we are born again by him, and we have been washed by his blood. If you cut me open, it's the blood of Jesus that flows. If you know what I mean by that, spiritually speaking. If I cut you open, spiritually speaking, it is the blood of Jesus that flows. We are family. When I say you're my brother, you're my brother indeed. When I say you're my sister, you're my sister indeed. It's not just a nice thing we say to make people feel good. We are family. There should not be room for division. There should not be room for party spirit. Sometimes you look at a church, it is split into three places. In the case of the church at Corinth, it was split into four groups. Sometimes a church is split into two groups. The church must not be split. And whoever is guilty of splitting the church must be careful. And there is need to repent or else something bad might happen. We have to be very careful when we deal with God's people. We have to be very careful when we deal with the house of God. The house of God is holy. The house of God is holy. I said the house of God is holy. And then we also dealt with, this is my own, I, I, I coined this phrase, superiority contest. I'm better than you because I have a better education. If you look at the church at Corinth, they had that problem. I'm, I'm better than you because I come from this part of the world. Or I come from this part of the city. I'm better than you because I'm, I have a better job. I'm better than you because I have more money. I'm better than you because I am a man and you are a woman. And Paul writes them and rebukes them and said to them, Who made you better? Basically, who put you on this pedestal? You are better than nobody. The only reason you are who you are and you've got what you've got is because of the grace of God. Come on now, say amen. amen. Everything you are and everything you have today and everything you will ever become and everything you will ever accomplish will be based on the grace of God. And without the grace of God, we are nothing. I am who I am by the grace of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is not through my ability. It is not through my wisdom and through my intellect. No, it is by God that strengthens me. All the glory must go to God. Can someone shout praise the Lord? So he began to deal with this superiority contest. I am better than you. I am this. I am that. No, we are who we are because of who he is. We are who we are because of what he has made us and who he has made us and what he has given to us. We also look at Paul dealing with sexual immorality in the church. We talked about that. We also looked at lawsuits. And I began to show you how Jesus said you need to settle your disputes with your brothers. Matthew chapter 18 because of time, we're not going to read that. But if you have something to, to settle with your brother or your sister, Jesus said in Matthew 18, go to that person privately. I want to say privately. privately. 
So it is your responsibility to go to the person privately and talk to the person between you and that person. There is no need telling this brother what you have with this brother. He has no business hearing about it. The moment you go to tell him about what you have with this brother, it's called gossip. The Bible talks about in Proverbs that there are six things that God hates and the seventh is an abomination. And the seventh is the person who sows the seed of discord amongst the brethren. The moment I take what's happening between me and Amos to brother Henry, I'm sowing a negative seed into his life. And how many of you have discovered that the moment it goes to the next person, it changes? Is that correct? And how many of you have also discovered that when Henry hears about it, now I'm just using these guys as an example here, when Henry hears about it, even though he has never met Amos, he has already developed a bad attitude about Amos. The next time, or the first time, sorry, not the next time, the first time he meets with Amos, and I say, that's the brother. He already has a bad attitude about Amos, and he's never met the man. Why? Because of the seed that I have sown in his heart. The Bible says that is an abomination to God. Some people don't know how to keep their mouths shut. They go around telling everybody that cares to hear. And I want to say this to you. Tell them when they come. Look at my ears. My ears are not. What? Pardon? My ears are not trash cans. Don't dump your trash into me. Have you spoken to Amos? No, why are you then talking to me? It's none of my business. Now, if I go to Amos and I'm not able to resolve this with Amos, that is when I should go to Henry. But I shouldn't go to Henry if I've not gone to Amos first. Are you listening to me? Now, even when I go to Henry, I must determine that Henry is mature enough to handle it. Henry is not going to come into the middle of this and put kerosene on the fire. And if I go with Henry and Amos is still stubborn and he does not want to resolve this, that is the only time I go to the next level, which is the third level. I'll go to the leadership and I'll inform the leadership of the church what is going on between me and Amos that has not been resolved. Why are we doing this? Because we are brothers. Is that correct? Why are we doing this? Because we must maintain unity in the house of God. Are you listening to me? The Bible says, wherever there is strife, there are all forms of wickedness. We want to make sure that strife is taken care of immediately. We say this way, we nip it in the bud. The moment it shows up, we deal with it, we get rid of it, we get it out of our lives, we get it out of the church, we get it out of the leadership. We do not want strife in this place. And everyone here has got a responsibility. Tell somebody you have a responsibility. It is not just the responsibility of the leadership because some people think we can just run to pastor and tell pastor. No, you are responsible too. I say you are responsible. And Paul began to deal with this. Brothers taking brothers to court. Say, don't you have mature people in, in your midst? That can deal with matters like this? 
In actual fact, this is not a big deal. Don't you realize that Christians will judge angels? If God has given you the grace and the ability to judge angels, how is it that you cannot deal with little petty issues like this? Have you realized that some of these things that people fight over are petty? Trivial? Unimportant? You hear some of the things that people fight over, you say, what? Get rid of all of that. But as we look at these issues, as I round up today, I want to look at the last three issues and then I'll finish. And as I look at the last three issues, I, I want to come across in a way where you understand. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10. 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 10. In actual fact, we're going to read verses 10 and 11. Have you found it? But to the married people I charge you, not I but the Lord, that the wife is not to separate from her husband. But if she does separate from and divorce him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to her husband. Interesting. And I charge the husband also that he should not put away or divorce his wife. Tell someone, tell someone there is no room for divorce. <laughs> now, if we want to dig deep into this subject on marriage and divorce and remarriage, uh, I don't have the time to do that. <laughs> But I believe the best thing is to stay married. The best thing is to stay married. And if you ever want to stay married, you have to do what it takes before you marry. A lot of young people are quick to run into it. And if you are quick to run into it, you might be quick to run out of it. There are some things you need to set in order in your personal life first. For a young man, there are things you need to set in order in your life. One of the major reasons why people divorce, even in the church, like it is said today, that the rate of divorce in the church is equal to the rate of divorce in the world. One of the major reasons why divorce happens in the church amongst believers is because of unfaithfulness, infidelity, adultery, and all of that. And if you are not able to, by God, cut away all the stuff that's messing up your life sexually right now, you are also not going to be free when you marry. Don't ever think to yourself that when I marry, I'll be free from sexual sin. Because marriage does not deal with it. If you are bound, you are bound. Married or not married. So you must be free first. Don't carry your cargo to the next place. <laughs> Preaching good. Don't carry your load, your baggage to the next place because you are only going to increase the problem. Because now you've got someone else involved in your mess. Initially, it was you alone. Now someone else is involved. 
in that mess. So I need you to understand that needs to be dealt with. If you have to go to God and you do a three-day prayer and fasting, there's something about three-day prayer and fasting without food or water. And I promise you, you are not going to die. <laughs> but I'm telling you, that flesh will die. Amen. Come on now, say amen. amen. And I'm not just speaking to young men, I'm speaking to ladies too. Because sometimes ladies think men are the only ones struggling with sexual sin. No, ladies do also. <laughs> Somebody's excited to hear that. <laughs> no, it's, it's the truth because a lot of times the blame, is, the blame is on the men. It's always men. There's men that, but that's not true. It's not just men that struggle. <laughs> Women struggle too. Are you listening to me? Both men and women need to be set free by the power of the Holy Ghost. It is when you are free, you are whole, you are complete, that you should be involved in someone else's life or you should add someone to your life. Come on now, I'm preaching good, say amen. Amen. So the reason I said there is no room for divorce, it's not because... The verse does not happen. It does happen, even amongst Christians. And Jesus said, well, if there is adultery, the innocent one is free to go. If he wants to go, if she wants to go. But I believe that it can be resolved. I believe that it can be resolved. I believe the love of God can actually deal with that. It's not easy. But it can be resolved. When trust is broken, it will take a while to build it back up again. Did you hear what I just said? You want to make sure in your marriage, you don't break trust. That is the reason why... It is important to expose everything early. Don't hide stuff. Expose it. Reveal it. Tell your spouse. This is what's going on. This is how I feel. Expose it. Tell somebody expose it. You see the thing is if you don't expose it, it might expose you. And if it exposes you, it's going to blow up in your face. You want to expose it. When you expose it, you expose the plan of the enemy. Because you see, in secrecy, the devil has authority. But when you expose it, you expose the the trap. The enemy is is planning to, to cause you to fall into. You want to make sure that you expose everything. Everyone say everything. Deal with it. Get it out in the open. Let your wife know. Let your husband know. Let your husband know or let your wife know that that girl is coming after you. Thank you. (laughs) Amen. Let her know immediately. Don't waste time. Don't delay. If that girl is coming after you, a married man, tell your wife immediately. Come on now. That's why I, people also, wives need to understand. You, some, some women say, I have, this is my best friend. I tell her everything. 
Don't tell her everything. She might want your husband. Oh, no, don't, don't harm me. Don't, don't harm me like that. I'm telling you. I know you didn't like that. But it's the fact. It's the fact. It's the fact. Keep some things private. Keep some things private. I tell people, don't tell, don't tell people your stuff. What's happening in your marriage, keep it between you and your spouse. You don't have to tell people. In actual fact, you don't have to tell your family. When I say your family, tell your mama, your papa, your brothers and your sisters, because they're going to get emotionally involved. And they're going to take side. You don't want them involved. The only time you should tell somebody, it's when you are not able to deal with it. It's, it, it's, it's getting out of hand. And the person you should tell is your pastor. And your pastor will guide you on what to do. Guess what? Your pastor is not going to be emotionally involved. Because he's not your father. Yeah, spiritual. Uh, <laughs> it's not your, it's not your biologic, biological father or mother. And so he will not get emotionally involved. But will guide you on how to deal with it. Come on now, I'm preaching good. Say amen. amen. Is this helping anybody? The rate of divorce in the church today is terrible. It's as much as the rate of divorce in the world. I remember my mother, I guess it was 2012. I was in Lagos, Nigeria. I was visiting. And my mother told me a story I never heard. I began to talk to her about something that I noticed growing up as a kid and as a young man. I said, mom, I, I, I would see this happening in the family between you and dad. And my mom began to tell me how things got to that point. But she said this to me, and I want you to listen carefully. She said to me, when I was about to leave my mother's house, my mother called me aside and said to me, don't let any woman raise your kids. In other words, when you go into the house of this man that's about to marry you, you will stay with him for the rest of your life. That was the advice of my mother's mother, of my grandma. So I never heard my mom say this growing up. So I've left the house. I'm now living in Istanbul. I go visit my family in Nigeria, and my mom told me this story. But today, what do you see? A lot of people are quick to run away from it. A lot of people are quick to quit, quick to quit. They give up on their homes. They give up on their marriage. And they want to come up with all kinds of excuses why they shouldn't stay married. We must stay married. Amen. Your marriage is a testimony to the world. Amen. Come on now. If the world can't do it well, let's show the world how it should be done. Amen. Come on, say amen. amen. You see, when God is in relationship with you, God is married to you. I know some of you date him, but God is, God is, God is married to you. Some of you are going out with God every now and then. But God is always married, committed. Listen, when God marries you, He marries you. God is not in this thing today and out the next week. God is not in this thing today and out 10 years from now. God is, see, Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I believe that is what husbands and wives need to tell themselves. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will be with you always. Even to the end of the age. Amen. So my wife, I will never leave you. Aha, <laughs> uh -huh, you see now. 
Amen. Yeah, this is how it should be. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you always. Now, when I wed people, when I, when I marry people on their wedding day, I don't do in sickness and in health, in, in poverty. No, I don't do that because I don't want to put a curse on them. Uh, so, but, but I bless the marriage. But you see, before the day, before the, 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 the wedding celebration, before the marriage ceremony, I've spent weeks with them, actually months with them, of counseling and talking about some things. And then it gets to the point where I look at both of them a week or two before the wedding and I ask them, do you still want to marry? <laughs> do you still want to marry this guy? Do you see? Because you see, when you begin to expose in the, in the counseling session, you begin to expose things that they never really knew about themselves. It opens up their eyes to see, wow, is she like this? Is he like, yes, yes, yes. That's what you're getting. <laughs> Amen. Are you still willing to marry? Because the moment you tie the knot, the moment you put that ring into her finger, the moment... You go into that house, you're going to lock the door, and you're going to throw the key away. But it's interesting also that when people want to marry, they come to us. But if they want to divorce, they go to the courts. If they would only come to us, they would not divorce. Is that true? Somebody was with his wife. And then suddenly my phone rings. And he was calling me, Pastor, come. Pastor, come now. I said to him, no, I'm not coming. You see, sometimes people think the pastor is a firefighter. The firefighter shows up whenever there is fire burning in the house. The pastor is not a firefighter. Because, see, the fire has been burning way before you called the pastor. The day you called the pastor was the day you couldn't handle it. Now, pastor has to show, show up and perform miracles. <laughs> Miracle of turning water into wine in your marriage. But you did not expose it when it all started. So I said to the brother, I'm sorry, I'm not coming. If you want me to deal with this, come to my office with your wife and I'll help. And they did. I looked at the wife, my God. She needed a miracle. Don't, listen, don't ever lift your hand on your spouse. Don't you ever do that. If you do that, I will call the police on you. But that's serious. I will call, I will be the one to call the police on you to come and pick you up. You see, there is a responsibility. It's a huge responsibility. got quiet. <laughs> the Bible says marriage is honorable in all. Marriage is honorable in all things. You see, marriage brings you honor. Can someone say amen? amen. Hallelujah. But before you marry, pray. Pray how many times? Pray a lot. Pray a lot. Pray a lot. But listen, also think with your head. 
Think with where? Think with your head. Don't think with your feelings. Your feelings fluctuate. But you have a head on your shoulders. Think deep. Think well. This is important. And be resolute to make the marriage work. Can someone say praise God? Be resolute to make the marriage work. I'm telling you, you know, people say, this marriage, this marriage was made in heaven. And I've said over and over again, there is nothing like that. When you see people like Pastor Hamdi and Pastor Leila celebrate 51, 50, uh, 50, 51, right? Yeah. The 51st anniversary. But you see, they, they did not get to this place overnight. They made a decision. We are never going to quit. A lot of people are so quick to quit. And when you look at people like that, you wish you can have that. But it does not come by wishing. It comes by making choices. Choices before and choices after you marry. It comes by making good choices. There are places you shouldn't go to. There are friends that shouldn't come to your house. There are people that shouldn't be close to your marriage. Come on now, I'm preaching good. But you know, you let all kinds of people come in and they begin to pollute your spouse. And they begin to mess up your home. You don't want that. You want to make sure that you kick all those people out. So you don't just wake up one morning and it's 50th anniversary. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of forgiving. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of uh, mercy. It takes a lot of giving grace. Come on now, say amen. amen. It takes a lot of decision. Daily. Because some days it does not look like a bed of roses. Praise God. God says, I hate divorce. You know, I'm just going to stay with this today. God says, I hate divorce. And I believe one of the reasons why God, has say, God said, I hate divorce, is because... It messes up the children. And I, I, I think that is where a lot of couples are selfish. See, marriage is not just about you. Marriage is also about the children that God has given you. You stay married not just because of you. You stay married because of your children. It is said that most children don't survive after divorce. They don't make it. They don't recover. So the next time the devil suggests divorce to you, tell the devil you have children and you're not willing to jeopardize their future. A healthy home is the security of the children. A healthy marriage is the security of the children. And that is where your children see love first. Are you listening to me? 
That is where, with men that have daughters, your daughter experiences love from you first. Not from that guy. You know that guy? Not from that guy out there. From you first. If you don't hug her, she's going to be waiting to be hugged. And the guy that will hug her might not be the right person. I'm preaching. Come on now. If you don't tell her you love her, somebody will. And I, I guarantee you most of the time it will not be the right person. I'm preaching good. Fathers with sons. Show your son how to love their wives. By the way you love their mother. Show your sons how to sacrifice. By the way you sacrifice. You see, to your son, you are Jesus Christ. Before they know Jesus Christ. Correct? We are dealing with fathers today that are not at home. We are dealing with absentee fathers today. And they wonder why their marriages are falling apart. If you leave your wife, what do you expect? And don't get me wrong, I'm not here to beat you up. But I'm just telling you the truth. Your wife wants security. And security is not standing behind, standing behind her to fight everyone off. Security to the wife is you being around. When you are present at home, there is security. I know there are times, even with my wife and Irene, sometimes they are... Blah, 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 and, and, and yeah, because, you know, two girls. Uh, but... <laughs> But then I show up and peace comes. <laughs> you know, there is just, there is, there is that grace the husband carries. There is that authority the husband carries. There is something on you when you walk in. You walk in with something. It's a heavenly authority. It's a heavenly grace upon your life. But if you disappear, if you take off and leave them for one year, for two years, for five years... Because you're look, looking for money. What do you expect? Marriage is God's number one institution. Don't mess it up. Marriage is a testimony. Your marriage should reveal the way Jesus loves the church. And sacrificed for the church. I can't be loving my wife from a distance. She won't feel it. Phone, telephone love. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Let's be honest. And when we put other things ahead of our marriages, we open up our homes so the enemy. And we wonder why things are not working. Things are not working because the man has left his place of authority. The Bible says how good and how pleasing it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the anointing oil that flows from the head of Aaron the high priest. Referring to authority. 
and flows down to his beards and down to his feet. The Bible says, right there, God has commanded blessing. God commands blessing in a place of unity. God commences blessing in a place where we are one, where we are together. In a place where the man takes his place of authority. And the man takes his place, his rightful place in the marriage. And that is the place of security. And the wife and the children are secure. Because they are not afraid something might go wrong with their lives. Come on now, say amen. amen. Listen guys, you may not be physically strong, but if you are home, your wife is secure. That's what we're dealing with today. Absentee fathers. Absentee fathers. They do what it takes to have children, but they don't take care of the children. You are not a father because you did what it takes to have children. You are a father when you stay at home and raise them. And raising them is not just giving them a bunch of rules and regulation. Raising them is by living, living your life by example. Come on now, say amen. amen. They see all the seasons that you go through with your, with your spouse. They see when you had something. They see when you had nothing. They see when you were in the valley. They, see when, they just see all the seasons. And they see how you carry yourselves in the season. And that is their strength. Is this helping anybody? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. I know some of you are not married. You're thinking, when you marry, apply this. You don't have to marry before I teach this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. What did Jesus do? Jesus sacrificed. Jesus laid his life down for the church. Come on now, say amen. amen. And you see how Jesus did it. Jesus did it even when the church did not care about him. And see how Jesus does it still today. Jesus still loves you, even though you mess up. Is that correct? Notice, it says that he might sanctify her. Correct? He might sanctify her. Guess what? Listen, listen to what I say. That he might present her to himself. Not having spot or blemish. So it is the job of the Lord to sanctify the church, his bride, and present the bride to himself. Not having spot or blemish. It is the, hus the husband's responsibility to what? Sanctify the wife. How do you sanctify the wife? Yes, by the word. But initially, it flows from love. I've never said to my wife, when, have you read the Bible today? No, never said that for how many years I've been married. Never said that. But I lead by example. I've never said to her, did you fast last week? I lead by example. I've never said to her, have you prayed? I lead by example. Come on now, say amen. amen. You want how to fast, you fast. You want how to pray, you pray. You want how to read the Bible, you read your Bible. You want how to go to church, you lead the way. If you don't go to church and you're sending your wife and children to church, I don't even know what I'll say to you right now. I'm about to say something, but I hold it back. Come on now, say amen. 
Is this helping anybody? No room for divorce. That word divorce should be removed from your vocabulary. Don't even think about it. Can someone say amen? amen? Don't think about it. So think about if my mother, who was not even a born again Christian, she eventually became a believer in Christ. But at the time she got married to my dad, that my dad was 21, and my mom was around. <laughs> my God, let's be. My mom was like Mary. <laughs> you know, Mary married Joseph when actually she got she conceived when she was around 16, 17. She was like she was actually she was like a person girl, really. She was a person girl. She was a, like a village girl. You know that, don't you? She was around that age, between 16 and 19, around that age, when she, got, when she conceived Christ. And then, eventually, got married to Joseph when she had given birth to Jesus. My mom was around that age. My mom was around 17 when she got married. And she stayed with my dad. She told me, she said, I had many reasons to leave him. But I never left because I remember what my mom told me. You see, old school don't quit. <laughs> old school, they hardly quit. They make it work. Young school, don't quit. <laughs> make it work. Make it work. It will work. Come on now, say amen. amen. It's going to work. It's, it will work. It will work. I said it's going to work. Come on now, say amen. amen. Develop the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit, and it's going to work. Amen. Patience, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all of that. Self-control. It will work. God designed marriage to work. God designed marriage to work. God designed marriage to be a blessing. God designed marriage to be a blessing to you, but also to the children that God gives you in the marriage, and also to people. That's why I've been saying that your marriage is a testimony. Come on, say amen. amen. And to some of you that are not married, get ready. Prepare yourself. And let me also say to, the, to you, if you're not married, don't be scared. Somebody needs to hear that. <laughs> don't be afraid to marry. It's good to marry. Some will not marry. But if you have that, the Bible says it is better to marry than to burn with passion. If you have this burning passion in you and you're still keeping yourself, then I pray that God will give you the right person. Amen. 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 Praise God. So first, deal with yourself. Amen. Amen. Deal with yourself before you start dealing with someone else. 